All right, so welcome to Gabbing Gauchos, episode three. And as always, we are joined by Matthew Eisen and wait, Matthew or Matt? Matt. Matt. It sounds. It makes me sound cooler than I am. <laughs> okay, Matt Eisen and Sean Harrington. So if you haven't joined us before, Matt Eisen is the coach of UCSB triathlon team, and he's also a CST athletics coach. He does professional coaching as well as this club stuff. And Sean Harrington is a professional triathlete in his second year as a pro first we're gonna say first pro? first first you're really getting at yeah it. okay we'll, we'll call it the first year as a pro and so we got a great episode for you today first we're going to talk about school because ucsb is back in session and as matt is the ucsb triathlon team coach we're going to check in with him on what the new recruits look like what we've got coming up on the season and then after that we'll head on over to sean and talk about what is happening in the pro field these days and we know that you did some races recently, and you've got more on the horizon, so we'll see uh, what's new with that. So let's start with UCSB. Now, we've had how many days of school so far, Matt? Two. Just two. So they got a Thursday and a Friday, and then they got a weekend already. Only 11 weeks till Christmas break. It's that bad, huh? <laughs> so how many people did we have at our first group event? Between 70 and 80. I did, not do, I did not do a hit count, but it was the most, definitely the most we've had since I started. That's super impressive and re also really exciting. So was the first workout a run or a swim? A swim. A no, swim. A, a run. My bad. I was going to say the run was a little bit less. The run though. was less. The swim, we had 70 to 80 people. Okay. So I assume that was all freshmen, or am I wrong? Um, no. It's, uh, I would say three quarters of the people were freshmen or sophomores. Or, or new. New. Yeah, yeah. new people. Like, it was... By and large, um, not returning members making up that 70 to 80 people. That's incredible. So that's super exciting for what's to come because as the winter months approach, we'll certainly lose some people to studying and realizing that college, you actually have to work a little bit. Yeah, but we're going to get their money on the first go. So. <laughs> so what kind of lies did you have to tell them that first day to get them to show up the second day? Um, triathlon is fun. You know, it's not that hard. It'll be the pool's warm. That was a big one. Do I need a wetsuit for the pool because oh it's so cold out in the morning? Maybe in uh, two months they'll need a wetsuit. Maybe in two months, but we won't tell them that. Um, there will be lots of members of the opposite sex there that you can talk to, and they're really friendly once they get working out. Maybe a future wife. Future wife, yep. Fu yeah, it's not it's not out of the ordinary. We've had quite a few triathlon couples over the years. I feel like wife or husband might scare them a little bit, but uh, at least yeah. future. Girl girlfriend might be Girlfriend, yeah. yeah. We'll yeah. stay with that. So now that we've got the first few out of the way, what's your plan to try to keep people coming back? Um, the plan is more social stuff. So like I said there, um, so three years ago, I would say the majority of the team was very serious and had trained, was wanting to train pretty hard. And I think the vibe I got from them was like, oh, Matt is um, super knowledgeable. So let's like suck the life out of him via his knowledge um, and train really hard and then uh we just had a lot of people graduate that first year a lot of seniors and then last year was um a bit of a tweener year i mean sean will attest like there were just less there weren't upperclassmen and there were less fast people yeah we only hmm. lost three of us yeah this year like last as in um in may we graduated three people so like i said the team is going to be uh for the past two years predominantly new members um so much more chill vibe probably this year because most of our racers are freshmen or sophomores. I would I would suspect if the freshmen stick around. 
So now how does that affect the way that you plan out the training for the season? Um, a lot of copy-paste from last, last year. I'm kidding. Um, just less numbers. I would say there's less like uh, 3 by 15 minutes, 3 by 10 minutes, and more um, utilizing like our mountain here and being like, you five are going to go hard to the top of the mountain and sending them off in groups or um, just achieving distance goals or achieving speed goals as opposed to the super structured. Um, mostly I just don't want them to get split up. I would say that is like the bigger, it's not an individual workout. It's about them riding and hanging out and running and hanging out and swimming and hanging out. Yeah. I think it's like really trying to develop consistency before you try to really yeah. going after the hard workouts and stuff. You just want people having fun coming to practice and enjoying themselves. So then what do you tell the people who haven't really done sports before they're trying to check out triathlon, see what it's all about. How do you, what do you say to them that makes them want to come back? It's clear that if someone has grown up with sports as a background, using myself, for example, I grew up swimming ever since I was five years old. And so the idea of working really hard, really consistently, consistently was really natural to me. And so transitioning to, tri to triathlon was very straightforward because, okay, well, I'm just doing basically the same kind of stuff now with multiple sports. Yeah. But there are plenty of people who are interested in doing triathlon for the first time who have no idea what they're doing. They've never really even done cardio consistently. And for them, it must feel super intimidating that, okay, now I have to work out every day. Are you, are you sure every day? Wait, more than once a day? And in a sport that I need to buy a, something that feels like it's super expensive in order to yeah. do. Um, so how do you keep them interested? Yeah, that's the biggest point is that the kids who did sports in high school cross country or swimming they're not going to leave like they show up the first practice and unless they join a frat or sorority they're they're just going to be there because that's what they want to do um from my like my planning end for the majority of the people majority of the club are people who don't have that experience the majority of the paid people of the club didn't do sports is to like we were just talking about limit the um intimidation factor up front by making the workouts all very achievable and very group oriented. And uh, even last year, the last two years we've had, I've offered second workouts in the day with me there. And we're not going to do that for the first couple months so that everybody just looks at the calendar and sees one workout a day. Um, and if they want to use the group me to get in something else, the more advanced people, they're going to know how to do that. Like they're going to be um, self starters in that regard. Uh, the bike thing, we have team bikes. So, of course, they get um, at the meeting told, you know, after six weeks, I'm going to have a list starting next week where I check off names and whoever comes to the most practices gets a team bike. And we've got like 25 this year. So Wow, that's a lot. It is a lot. Yeah, we get a good discount. So I hear they're pretty good bikes, too. They're not just, you know, those crappy things that you ride to school. They're road bikes. Some of them are pretty shitty, but uh, some of them are really, really, I'm kidding. They're all, they're, some of them are older, but... Um, they're well taken care of or we get them you know they get a little bit abused each year but then we get them fixed up in last year we got 10 new ones right? yeah we have 10 brand essentially brand new ones yeah, just been used only one year yeah nice you know 800 road bikes uh 1200 sorry 1200 yeah. road bikes in good condition um so how much do road bikes go for what's the range for the typical college student like I'm not talking about the murderously expensive bikes, yeah. but what's kind of average for a, a good road bike? 
I feel like now to get a real a road bike that's going to be consistently working for three or four years, you have to drop new in a shop like twelve, fourteen hundred. I mean, that's what we went with with our team bikes. But I think for a lot of new triathletes, going with a new bike isn't necessarily the best way. I agree. Um, if you if you know like someone on the team that's you know pretty knowledgeable with bikes, picking up a, a used bike is definitely the way to go. And you know, you can find a, a really good bike for you know seven hundred maybe. Yeah. Um, the bike uh, I'm racing on was under a thousand, and I, I think it was a great deal. Uh, my road bike was just over a thousand. Awesome bike. So, if someone's interested in doing that, where do they even start looking for such a bike? Craigslist. Yep, Craigslist. eBay. Ask around. People, you know, we're all kind of in the same community, so you know, we'll hear of a friend selling a bike, or hear of uh, you know some someone friend of a friend, and just ask. Plus, if you happen to have parents who are easily manipulated, you say, Mom, Dad, oh, yeah. I'm really excited about traffic. I made Will friends. You please buy this for me. You're spending $10,000 a quarter on me on academics. How about $1,000 for a bike? A lot of kids get bikes after the first time their parents come to a race, and I see their parents' face light up because their kid is making friends. And like, it sounds funny, but I think it's like a paternal fear that you know, you'll send somebody off to college and they won't... Um, they won't blossom and then they come to like san diego i mean i think three kids got bikes they don't know i feel like it was essentially out of that their parents saw them race and i saw their parents like be like oh they're so happy and they have a community yeah we're getting them a bike yeah <laughs> well and also i think you know parents see this in a, a lot better way than maybe say like a frat or anything you know those yeah. have a lot of bad publicity right now so getting people involved with sports is kind of a good good direction now and i think parents see how awesome the triathlon team is for for these kids and you know how good of an influence that is. So for the parents who might be listening, what is the policy around hazing or introduction type activities for the CSB triathlon team? Um, I, again, on my end, I, I would say more than fitness and performance is just preaching. We're a community of inclusiveness and we'll have an officer meeting tomorrow. And that's like, we had a president's meeting where I met with the, you know, the two presidents and they asked me what I want to talk about the officers. And I said, that was it. That is the only thing that that's number one on my list is everybody. Um, this is, this is about your community of athletes and making lifelong friends above anything else. There's not going to be any intimidation or any pressure, not just, you know, no pressure to go swimming for someone who's scared of sharks in the ocean until they're really ready. And um, no pressure for them to go on, trips or go to put themselves in situations that they're uncomfortable with either so do you have to know how to swim in order to join the team you do not no i about 20 people we had on friday who know nothing about swimming that are learning together and um if somebody is listening to this like the most important thing is to start early with the team uh i see again from my thousand foot view um people come and they come to one practice and then they miss like a month and they come back and all those people who didn't know how to swim now look they are swimming better than that person thought was ever achievable and at that point they're the only person in the pool who doesn't really know how to swim at all and they leave because they don't have the community anymore so the best thing you can do is start with a group of people get to know them show up consistently and like Anytime you start something new, your improvement is rapid, and you will get better very quickly. If you le if you wait even a month or two, 
then you end up doing a lot of drills on your own and it's just not fun. And to, for some people it appears to be embarrassing and you know, we don't want that. So I try and progress them all as one group. So speaking of community, do you have any social events lined up on the calendar? We got a ton. Our uh, social officer is going to be really, really good this year. Um, she's what's, the, what's the person's name? Evie. Um, I can't pronounce your last name, Evie. I'm sorry. It starts with an O. Um, no, but she'll be really, really good. Um, she's super excited about it. We're going to do um, last year and the year before. I felt like having those meetings, they were just super boring. But um, the kids seem to want to keep giving it a shot. And this year, we're just not going to do that. So we're going to have... When we have a meeting, it's going to be very, very informative, important stuff. And then every other Monday that we don't need to have a sit-down meeting, we're going to do some type of social. Um, and we have the budget. You know, we were going over the budget. We were well under uh, the amount of money that we could have spent the last two years. So we have some extra money, and we're going to spend that on post-workout food and whatnot for people. Um, I feel like we got the money. We might as well spend it on keeping kids around. So when is the next team meeting or any kind of social gathering that uh, most people will show up to? Essentially every Monday evening. Um, the next team meeting is tomorrow or this Monday, September 28th, 27th, 31st. God, I'm, October 1st. I'm living in the past. October 1st, first meeting, uh, 7.30 in the psych building. Uh, I'll be out front directing people where to go into the psych building. But... Um, yeah, so we're we're just going to try and have meetings where we actually learn something about triathlon and about what's going on. And then other than that, the socials, and um, I stay out of the socials with the exception of, you know, don't do anything that's going to get us on the news type deal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, sounds good. And I, I hope that most of our listeners will be at that next meeting. Any other parting words about the, the team before we switch over to Sean? Uh, one last thing on the bike front. So we are going to implement a, um, we're going to sell the team bikes to kids who want them. So what we're going to do now is we are making a pricing structure. So like the new team bikes, we knock, we say, we gave those out last year to say um, Suds. I think Suds wants to buy his. And we say, you used it for a year. So we're going to say it's lost 10 or 15% of its value. And we'll sell it to you for that price. So they get a used bike, they're the only person who's used it, so they know it's in good condition um, for cheap. Or bad condition if they're yeah, particularly bad at maintaining um, And if they give it back to us and say it's three years down the line, that $1,200 bike will sell because it's been used for three or four years, we'll say, well, we're going to knock 50% off of the price of this because it's so used. So there is a built-in opportunity. Not You get a bike for a year, and then you can say, I like this bike, and I really want to search around for one. I'll buy this bike at a discounted price. And it's already set up for you. It fits, yeah. which is super important. So then are we going to take basically the money that people purchase with those bikes and then buy new bikes? Yes. Um, I think long term it'll roll over better because the bikes, honestly, like we, I think we have closer to 30 bikes, but three or four of those are just too worn out because they've been handed down for mm -hmm. eight years at this point. Um, so I'd rather get rid of them in two or three years and then just do another bike buy every handful of years to get new ones back and resell to the kids too Cause, and when you look at if you really want to get nerdy about it like you do the math on the dues and whatnot it only takes a couple of kids dues to get another team bike so uh, it should work out positive for us and for the kids so now how expensive would you say the average professional triathlete's bike is Whew, less than the average age groupers <laughs> 
That, wow, that's really interesting. I wouldn't have expected that. Um, there's a lot of uh, smoke and mirrors, I think, in in these price guides. But uh, I'd say roughly f- five grand is getting you ninety nine point nine 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 infinity percent of a fifteen grand bike at this point. You're saying five grand for the whole setup, or five grand for the frame? Whole setup, five grand for a, a brand new off the shelf um, bike is about. Especially if you're willing to do. You know, if you really want to geek out, do a little bit of research. Um, you'll see, for example, a zip, a 2004 zip 404 is, you can't measure a difference between it and the brand new zip NSW 404 at a direct headwind. Um, you can do some other things to make the, you know, different tire choices and whatnot. Like, you can justify the new one um, in specific situations, but we're hitting the point there's only so much we can do right now the next big thing is going to be disc brakes or it already is disc brakes there's only so much we can do with the restrictions on making a wheel at this point or a triangular bike frame what are your what are your thoughts on the disc we- or uh, disc brakes coming out it doesn't really matter my thoughts it's going to happen um i think a handful of manufacturers are this next this re- release and kona's coming up so you'll see the release of new tt bikes you're not even going to be able to buy a high-end caliper um, old-style brake bike anymore, a new. That should really affect the used bike market then because yes. all those super expensive bikes that are traditional style are suddenly going to become really cheap and flooding the market. Yeah, if you're a late adopter, the next five years will be an excellent time to buy, say, a, a, a bike that was ten grand in a bike store for $2,000 um, because things are going to be incompatible. The disc rate, you can't use the same wheels, obviously. Um, and the early adopters will go on to the disc brake bikes. And again, right now, there's no aerodynamic benefit. Long term, it appears that they'll be able to make disc brakes, disc brake bikes faster. At least that's what the smarter people smarter than me are saying. So at the Augusta, one of the sales rep was talking to me about it, and he was trying to say one of the big advantages is basically the alignment of when you put that wheel in. It, it just goes in exactly right every time. So, you know, with you know current brakes, you might be fiddling for a while, especially if you're swapping wheels or anything like that. Whereas with these disc brakes, it's going to basically be a self-aligned process. But isn't it's, it still true that the dish of the wheel matters? Yeah, you'll still have a truing. So the big drawback, and I, although I'm a sh- really, really shitty mountain biker, I enjoyed it a lot in high school and college and had, um, I've gone through multiple mountain bikes and, my girlfriend's a huge mountain biker and I coach some high level mountain bikers. You with a hundred percent they will say even the ten thousand dollar mountain bike, like brand new, best hydraulic disc brakes on the market, you're getting rubs. And I'm waiting they're just not enough people using disc brake road bikes right now for this to get out. But um disc rubs are going to become an issue, especially on lower end disc bikes disc brake bikes i mean on a mountain bike it's not that big a deal you have a little rub it's really like the least of your concerns and the other it'll change from day to day too um with the hydraulic brake setup so i'm interested how many watts do you think you're losing i think any if a triathlete knows it's rubbing at all it doesn't even matter it's just it's going to drive them crazy and that's my fear is the people i know um with the lower level ones over the past two years just they basically just end up not riding them as much as they would a calipered bike because they get so annoyed with the rubs. The thing so, that really bothers me about the hydraulic setups is that it's much harder to maintain. 
because now you've got a fluid system. Whereas well, if you if you just take a traditional calipered bike, it's super easy to take out the cable yourself and replace the cable. It only costs ten dollars and you're done. But if you've got fluid, now you have to pop open a little thing. You've got to flush the line. You got to refill it, and you have to set everything up right. And it sounds like a huge nightmare. Yeah, I, theoretically, you should never have to replace that fluid. Like it should be very, 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 very rare that you ever have to do that, which is supposed to be one of the advantages. But isn't it true that well, at least the the person that I bought my mountain bike from said that if you have the wheel out and you mistakenly yes. squeeze the caliper, then they close and they will not open again. Yes. That is true. They lock together. And that um, requires re-bleeding the line yes. or something, right? So uh, in an ideal world, which again is not something I have, I have not had this experience with mountain bikes. I've had to re-bleed and adjust anyway, but it's a closed system. It should, once you set it up, it should stay. And that is a claimed advantage in that you can switch different wheels, different, your race wheels and your training wheels without having to mess with brake pads or bolts or any cable tension, anything. It'll just always work. Um, but this isn't an ideal world, and it seems that even that closed system, quote, closed system, um, has some flaws. But I would say their target audience are not people doing their own bike maintenance. And it, even if a guy like me who does 100% of his own stuff, they can come to me and say, this bike is, you know, wind tunnel proven 30 seconds for 40K faster than my current Trek speed concept. And I can get, I can basically get one for nominal cost by selling my old bike. I'm probably going to put up with it um, because I care a lot about the ultimate performance. So I'm not going to mind like spending a little extra time bleeding brakes. So I think it kind of works out. But then what happens if you take the average person who isn't you, who doesn't know how to maintain their bike, they go out on a ride, they get a flat, they take their wheel out, they change the tube, but as they're messing around with their bike to put it back in, they mistakenly press the brakes and it locks up on them and they're off 20 miles away from home. How do they resolve that? They call for help. Now, I agree. I think it's, um, I also, I could rant about the road tubeless thing too. Um, it's the answer to a problem nobody has or that a very, very, very small percentage of the population has these disc brakes and road tubeless tires. Um, by and large, a tubeless tire, you need to go to a shop to get it put on because you need an air pressure system. Um, problems with hydraulic brakes, you need to go to a shop or you need to go to somebody in your neighborhood who has a bleeding kit and experience bleeding the stuff back out because you're not it's not something you're going to want to do yourself. Okay, so that wraps up the UCSB section. So let's move on now to keeping up with the pros. So the pro field is pretty large now, right? Aren't there quite a few in the U.S.? Too many. Too many, you say. I mean, too many professionals, not enough races. Too okay. many pros, not enough races. So what were the most recent professional-level races that happened in, say, the last month? Uh, well, 70.3 Worlds happened. Are we talking... Uh, uh, in... Just all the ones that mattered, would you say? Uh, yeah, that's definitely worth talking about. I would say, yeah, the only... Well, before we get into the details, okay, so there were 70.3 Worlds. What else happened? Everything else is Kona prep. So oh, all really? all of the 70.3s outside of Worlds are Kona prep for the, the main... Pl I mean, if you're looking up importance of the race... So are, were, were there 100 races in the past month? Were there 10 races in the past probably month? Probably 10. 10 About paid races in the world. Okay. Yeah. And there's too many pros. They get divided up. So there's lots of pros who don't end up making money because the paying yield only goes so deep. Yeah. But really where the action's at was 70.3 Worlds. Is yeah. that right? 
Okay, so what happened with that race? And who are the people that are most important for us to know about? Um, essentially, 70.3 World showed that if you want to be a world champion, you have to um, you have to swim stupid fast. Because the first time I've seen this happen in a race that long, uh, <clears throat> nine guys came out of the water. I might be getting one off. Nine guys came out of the water together, and eight of those guys finished in the top nine in the, at the end of the race, in a four-hour race. And so is that unusual? Highly unusual for a group to stay together. Uh, for it to be that specific, like the fastest nine swimmers in the race ended up eight of the top nine overall places in the race. But they also had like seven of the top ten run splits. They did. They did. Um, and I, it's like chicken or the egg. Are these guys the best triathletes, like with the biggest engines, who are going to be able to develop the best swim, the highest bike power, and the fastest run just because they have huge genetic engines? Are they all coming from ITU where you have to swim? Which was, no, they didn't all come from ITU. Um, but Although a lot did. A lot did. There, I, they didn't all. I want to say two of them. did, Or Sam Appleton, I wouldn't count. He probably did draft legal stuff, but not a high-level ITU or... Um, there was one other guy in the compression socks who wasn't a high-level ITU, or I can't remember his name. So are the top three people at um, 70.3 Worlds people that we should know? Um, Jan Ferdino, Alistair Brownlee, and Javier Gomez. Yeah, they're going to be the three biggest names in triathlon over the next. Did all three of them go to the Olympics this past time? No, but all three of them are Olympic medalists in the past. So Jan won in 08 or 04, I'm sorry. Um, and then Alistair has won back-to-back golds. Um, and Javier has been like third, third, and second, I think, in three. I think he's got three Olympic medals. Um, and they're moving up. Granted, they're a little bit old, so you're only going to have like another two or three, maybe five years of them but, racing in their peak. But in the, the scale of long course racing, they're not old at all. That's true. They're, yeah, they won't probably tail off until they're... I mean, Jan might retire after next year. Jan, I mean, he had Jan's, a rough month. Yeah. Um, but... Sorry, I lost my train of thought. I started thinking about Jan. Um, is he dreamy? Is that why you were thinking He about is him? extremely dreamy on camera. He is scary looking in person. Um, <laughs> as are most of those guys. Like, you see them in person and you're like, whoa, you just look unhealthy. Um, anyway... 70.3 worlds it's just it's becoming i feel like triathlon professional triathlon is becoming a real quote unquote a real sport where um if you want to be at the front of a world championship race you better have been doing it since you were eight years old that type of deal like there will be the random offshoots just like there are in, in pro cycling but for the most part if you want to run in the olympics or you want to make the Tour de France, and now if you want to finish in the top 10 of 70.3 Worlds or Kona, you probably should have started doing this, and this should have been, like, your main focus from early on. So you think that'll be true for Kona? Maybe this year already? Um, so for those who aren't familiar, what is Kona? Kona is the Ironman World Championships. So it's just double the distance of a 70 point. It's the race that started triathlon, essentially. And, and what is the distance? Uh, 4K swims, that's 2.4 miles. Um, 180k bike which is 112 miles and then a marathon run just like 42k and 26.1 miles yeah it's a long day and that one does have more specifically kona because of the weather and people will rant about this it's on a place 
It's on the island of Hawaii, the big island of Hawaii. So it's going to be 85 degrees and 85% humidity. And it does limit the person, the type of people who can do well there. For example, Patrick Lang finished second in his first attempt, won it last year, and the dude can barely win a local 70.3 because the heat and the conditions are such a huge factor that he's very gifted in the heat, and he basically does the same splits at Kona as he do in a race where it's 65 degrees. So why doesn't he just put a jacket on a local <laughs> race? <laughs> he should. Well, that, I, th- I think it's not so much that uh, he does better because of the heat. It's that he doesn't do worse. Everybody else slows down. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of interesting science behind that. But, well, interesting to nerds like me. Um, but it does, it seriously limits who can be competitive at it, within that race. And there's a, a longer learning curve. And there's a lot you pay... The, uh, specifically that course because it's so hot and because the bike course typically sets up with a tailwind out, headwind back, you pay a much bigger price for doing something stupid. Um, so in that realm, I think Kona will continue to have pretty big outliers for a very long time where you could have someone um, someone of Sean's prototypical level of like top quarter, top 25% in the world professional could show up to Kona and if the race is he could miss the front pack of the swim the race becomes stupid the weather is stupid windy some guys that made the front pack of the swim attack the bike people chase them and then you end up with Sean getting off the bike in 30th and running into fourth um that I mean that happens every year some guy is you don't he's 20 minutes back off the bike and he runs his way into a $30,000 payday so Sean how do you do in the heat Generally pretty well. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, I, I've definitely, I think being so skinny and uh, low body fat helps. Small, just small, small, in, small general. in general. Yeah. yeah. It definitely tends to play to my favor. So what's the, what are some of the races that you've done where it's been super hot and you feel like it's been a factor? Well, I mean, the, the most notable one is Collegiate Nats, my, what, in 2016, when my first year of getting second. I mean, that was a super hot day. And so the, for the for the new people who haven't been on the team before, what is Collegiate Nationals? When is it? How long is it? And what did you do again? <laughs> so uh, Collegiate Nats is, or Nationals is the basically the championship race for the, the collegiate club teams uh, in triathlon, and it happens normally sometime in April, um, and it, it moves around all over the country. The year I'm talking about in 2016, it it was in. Um, South Carolina, Clemson, Clemson, South Carolina. Um, and, uh, oh, the distances, it's an Olympic distance triathlon. So 1500 meter swim, 40 K bike, and then a 10 K run. And did you win that one? I did not win that one. Um, but it was a really a breakthrough race for me. Um, the previous year I was in the the twenties in finish place. Uh, and then that year I ended up uh, placing second, which was a surprise to me. And I think everyone else around. Um, but I think the heat and it was also a little bit long run course. I think both those really played to my advantage and I was able to run through the field. So that was in 2016. And then this past year in 2018, you actually won collegiate nationals, if I'm correct in that. Right. So what do you think made the difference in those two years? A lot of consistency in training, um, improving my swim, improving my bike and, uh, and, 
being able to run just as fast. So what would you say to someone who's maybe just starting on the team now who wants to follow in your footsteps? Uh, it's all about consistency. Um, find a good coach, uh, me with Matt, and then, I mean, obviously someone on the team that they're going to have that same access, so that's going to be great, great starting point for them. And then uh, just, you know, day in and day out, um, you know, it's not nothing about, like, doing something extreme, just being consistent and uh, try to be, a, you know, a student of the sport, you know, learn a lot learn how to get better and uh, i think time will take care of the rest so how many races did you do as a professional this summer this summer probably four yeah four races this summer i did uh ironman santa rosa 70.3 and that was at the end of july i did uh ironman santa cruz 70.3 malibu olympic distance and then augusta um Ironman, this is again, Ironman Augusta 70.3. And so how do you think you're, is that actually the end of your season or does your season start now with the collegiates again or, or what do you actually do for that? Um, so, so I would say I'm like two thirds of the way through my season. Um, I'll be going, I have two more races on the calendar. Uh, one in Go Texas, another uh, Ironman 70.3. Sick'em bears. This is uh, the city of uh, Matt's alma mater, Baylor. Um and then in December, I'll be going to Indian Wells, which is basically Palm Springs area for another Ironman 70.3. So are, is anyone else that's either on the UCSB team or formerly on the UCSB team going to be at those races as well? Uh, so I know a number of people are going to the Indian Wells one. Um, John Waltman will be there. Um, I think Jen Schulman's going to that one. Um, maybe Julia Bakes. Um I think there's a, a few others I'm forgetting, but Anya, uh, Anya, Anya's going, yeah. but uh, yeah, that would be good. It's here in Southern California. So, um, super convenient for us. It used to be hits or maybe it's competing with hits is around that same time. Um, so, uh, we're hoping the weather's warm, but there's been years it hasn't. So we'll see. Do you anticipate a, a repeat breakout performance at the wildflower 71.3 this year? Uh, I mean, I'm hoping, uh, yeah, come the next Wildflower to, to really step up and uh, have a breakout performance there. So, Matt, tell us about Wildflower from the UCSB team perspective. <clears throat> I don't go. That should give you all you need to know about that. Okay, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Wildflower is a super fun race. You should definitely plan on going. We camp. We have a good time. And it's a great, great location for a race. Wide open roads, no cars, and a great, great atmosphere. They, they call it the Woodstock of triathlon for a reason. Maybe for these younger students, it's the Coachella of uh, triathlon. Coachella of triathlon, <laughs> damn. <laughs> I'm going to steal that. Okay, so Sean, um, what else are you going to do this season besides train for triathlon? Not a damn thing. Yeah, I mean, it's basically training and racing. Um, but you're not a full-time professional, is that right? Well... I mean, I would, I would call myself a full-time professional, but yes, I do have a day job because triathlon does not pay me well enough to, uh, to not have a job. Um, I still work in the uh, material science lab that I did my PhD in, um, but I've reduced my hours to try to you know, accommodate the extra training that I'm doing. So you've done a bunch of races now as a pro, and you also raced for many years as an amateur. So how would you describe the difference between the personalities that you come across in racing as a professional versus racing as an amateur? Um, I mean, you, 
you get all kinds of personalities, obviously, both in age groupers and in pros. But, you know, as a common thread, I think people uh, start to take it even more seriously, uh, obviously, when it starts to become their livelihood. Um, when, they, when they are pros, um, you can definitely uh, get some people that become quite competitive with it, you know, especially when money's on the line. You, you really want to push yourself to, to win as much as you can and, and, and finish as high up as you can. So maybe uh, a bit of that. Sean's being too nice. Should I do? All right, all right, all right. So, so, all right. Hear me out here. You all, you all have a boss. So I want you to. I'm going to use an analogy here with a boss at work. So, is a good boss the guy who his employees like, or is a good boss the guy who works his employees, makes a, works employ his employees to death, and makes a shit ton of money for himself? So, in that analogy, in the pro field, there are guys like Sean who are very nice and working with people and trying to get the most out of the group. And then there are the personalities that are just trying to suck the life out of it for themselves. So Sean in um, Sean's basic strategy is swim well, ride well, and then run through the field. Well, other guys who aren't as gifted at running have to figure out a way to get rid of the Sean's on the bike. And if they're not strong enough to do it physically, it comes in, they will essentially verbally assault or people into doing more quote-unquote work than they need to so they can drop them later. So Sean ran into this at a race where Sean's obeying the rules, riding behind a guy. Um, Sean's getting an advantage, and this guy is not a very good pro, number one. Probably shouldn't be in the pro field. Um, but he isn't a very good runner, so he's getting pissed off at Sean because Sean's behind him, and this guy knows, like, I'm going to ride fast, then Sean's going to ride fast, and this guy's going to outrun me. And it's not enough to, like, verbally assault you during the race. Then you got to, like, sneak online and find the Strava segments and whatnot to comment on. Um, how do you feel about that, Sean? It was, uh, it was amusing at first. Um, I, yeah, th during the, the race definitely got a little bit berated, but, uh, not, nothing too bad. I definitely, you know, a few sarcastic remarks, maybe, um, you could tell he definitely was hoping that I would, I would have done more work, but honestly, you know, I'd looked at what my power was and, you know, I was basically right where I wanted to be. So, um, it's kind of, as you said, it made sense for me to just kind of keep doing what I was doing, not try to, uh, burn a match and, and do more work. And so when we got done with the bike, you know, he kind of made one of those other sarcastic comments about how we were, you know, out of the race and, you know, we weren't, we weren't going to do well. And then, uh, you know, I just kind of laughed it off and said, why not try? And, uh, proceeded to run my way through the field from, I think we got off, you know, like 18th, 19th ish. And, uh, ran all the way up to eighth place. So not quite in the money, but uh, definitely a very, you know, notable finish. Yeah, to take 10 places out of a pro field during the run, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and I mean, the I would say two-thirds of it was like the last three miles. Yeah. So it was a very lonely run out there and trying to just keep, you know, pushing myself to, to you know, think there was more people to go get. And actually, this is where having a good support crew is really key for me because around like mile eight, they basically told me, yeah, there's five guys within a minute of you. And it's like, oh, I, I've done it. You know, I, I've actually, like, made my way up. Because I had seen coming off the bike that, you know, basically eighth place, there was, you know, about ten guys were all right around there. So it's, I knew I'd find, find the back of that group. So that was really encouraging. But, yes, and then as Matt was referring to, you know, I get done with the, uh, the race, you know, upload my ride to Strava, super pumped about it and uh, proceed to get some nice uh, social media comments uh, 
you know, nice sarcastic remarks about uh, about how how I raced and how you know the, the guy wasn't very happy with it. Follow Sean at Big Sean Harry on social media. Don't hate the player, hate the game. But no, but I think this is actually something worth talking about. Um, how much of a benefit the, the the legal draft is in in triathlon? We've talked about it some before, but I, I still baffles me how how much people don't realize the uh, the time or the the power oh, yeah. you can save on it. Um, professional non draft racing is essentially professional semi draft racing. Uh, that goes back to seventy point three worlds with nine guys coming out of the water. Like you're not. Um, you're just not if you're a good athlete a high level athlete there's not a big enough difference between these riders to break up a uh, six bike length gap and especially at a world championship if there's coverage if you can see it that means there are motorcycles with cameras and those motorcycles are in between the cyclists providing even more draft and some pros um the good cyclists obviously say they want a bigger spacing, but if you've ever watched, there are a couple of big races in the year that have a much bigger draft zone. They're even more boring to watch than a normal triathlon because you can't see. They're not in a group. They do space out, and you have one guy and then a minute and then another guy. So, so you think it's actually better for the sport to have oh, things yeah. kind of group up a little? Yeah. Um, it comes down to if, if, if you can't swim front pack, you probably don't deserve to win a world championship. And this draft racing is affecting mostly the the very, very high-level races. And again, at Kona, where I talked about, you know, a Sean-like athlete missing the front group and just riding his own race with 10 or 15 other people using that draft and letting the front guys burn themselves out attacking each other and then running through the field. Like, it, it comes into play for everybody in the race at some point, and it's about how they use it. Well, that's really fascinating. We should definitely have an entire episode just based on draft legal strategy and what the pros do and how they deal with each other because that's a subject that at an amateur level i don't think many people really know about at all you get it at the front pack um like when i race amateur i'll get it with like the four or five guys at the very front of the race because we usually end up together on the bike um and then we have but we're it we're not racing for money so mostly we're just laughing at each other having fun like yelling at each other to go faster and it's all in good humor um yeah, Augusta definitely like had a lot of the Augusta seventy point three I did this last weekend had a lot like a big group. I ended up in a group of about ten people, and it was it was definitely pretty interesting talking to some of the pros that I met there, that were kind of on the other side of that. They were the ones near the front, um, and and different you know strategies you can try to do to to break that group up, and and it's like pretty fascinating in terms of like race tactics because it really does make the the race more interesting. Yeah, it's not a steady state effort. It's not a straight mm-hmm. for almost. Unless you're at the very front of the age group race or in the pro race, it's a steady state effort is your best bet. And then, but for the pro guys, it's oftentimes not. Yeah, my my normalized power might be 20 watts higher than my average power. Wow, that's pretty cool. All right, well, we'll have to leave that there for the time being, but I definitely want to hear more about that in the future, and hopefully our listeners do too. So if you have any uh, questions on that subject or any other subject, leave us a comment on one of our posts and we'll address it. That's all we've got time for for now. We will see you next time.